Welcome to the New Beginnings Community Church Podcast. Here at NBCC, we welcome the imperfect, flawed, and broken, as much as the healing and thriving, because we are all God's children. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. Well, good morning, everybody. Don't tease me. If you're going to do it, then just do it. (laughs) I know you tried, okay. (laughs) Um, Thank you for that. Uh, This morning we are, um, we're continuing in a series that I started last week. If it's your first time with us, it's a different series of something that um, is the culmination of 32 years of taking a hard look at myself really studying, could you turn the lights on guys, you have them in the dark here, and I'm still up here, and I don't know if that's okay with you guys, but I, I'd like a little bit of light, because we're children of the light, okay, um, but studying Genesis 3 for intensely in that, Genesis 3 and Luke 15 are my, like my two big chapters, and um, last week was foundational, if you, if you missed it, I please go back and watch that one, so you really get a good understanding of where we're going. Because each week now, as we look at cycle breaking and then cycle making, we're going to break cycles of behavior that are inherent in what's called the fall of man, when mankind sinned. And there's certain things that, um, uh, that began in that, in that time frame. Today, I want to talk about on the topic of distance, something that affects every friendship, every marriage, every relationship, every church, Anywhere where relationships should, have, relationships should happen, distance becomes a problem. And it's inherent in every one of us in certain degrees. I want to begin with this image up on the screen. Trunk a tree three years ago. You see that guy right there? That's actually me, okay? And three years ago, and you think, what kind of senior pastor is this guy? But anyway, um, that, that time, uh, it was about at the movies, I think was the theme. And they asked me, would I like to... Um, be in this one set passing out candy to kids and terrifying the children. But no, that's never. But in The Greatest Showman, the movie, I said, okay. My daughter was in there. She suggested I be Dog Boy, and that's Dog Boy right there. And so she spent a couple hours putting all the, gluing all the facial hair on me, wig on me, everything. She, she found me the coat, and I had these pants. And so I showed up that night in the scene. A lot of people took pictures, but I noticed that nobody would really come too close to me. And, uh, and nobody would talk to me. And so I was very hurt by everybody in this church. And I'm going to talk... No, I'm just... Um, because one of the things I did was I didn't talk. Because if you hear my voice, you're going to know who I am, right? And so... And in fact, at Trunk Treats, if I was completely incognito, I wouldn't even... I'd have to walk and I'd turn my knees in if I'm walking so you can see the bow legs. I have, I'm real bow-legged. I take after my mom. So, and I waddle when I walk. So I would walk really straight. Like, so nobody knows who I am. And so I had this cover on that nobody distinguished. This, this is Pastor Jim. I did because I just couldn't help myself. I talked to a couple people at that night. And once they heard my voice, they knew it was me. And of course, I go, shh, be, be quiet, be quiet, be quiet. So um, that night, because of my disguise, there were two things that were being played out that night. Number one, people were keeping physical distance. Number two, people were keeping emotional distance. Nobody was talking to me. And I found that to be so true in life as I've looked at 
life and looked at myself and examined this, it's very easy in the fall of mankind. Adam and Eve, once they sin, they, they're told not to eat from that one tree. And then they eat from the one tree because how many know the one thing you can't have is the one thing that you what? You want it. We're all just like that. And so they go and they eat from that tree. And all of a sudden they, they, they have these fig leaves. They get fig leaves and they sew them together. And now they begin to distance themselves from each other. Before, it was fine. Everything's good. Where they once had intimacy, closeness, trust, authenticity, all of a sudden, we got a cover-up going on. All of a sudden, we got some distance going on. And this is in their primary relationship. But I found in the last 32 years that we all have some of that going on in our life. And so, we're going to talk about that distance today. First, though, I want to kind of retrace my steps because if you weren't here last week, I just got to give you a little bit so you know the foundation. But please go back and watch last week's message. You can go at NBCC Norco YouTube channel and you'll see right there. Um, so I want to rehearse some things very quickly so we all know where I'm coming from. All right? In Genesis 2.25, it says, And the man and his wife were both naked and were not, say the word, they were not ashamed. Now the word shame itself means, Hebrew word means disappointed. So they're both naked, they're both standing there, what you see is what you get, and there's zero disappointment in themselves whatsoever. Everything's cool. But then look at chapter 3, verse 7, after they eat of the forbidden fruit and they sin, something now changes in the way they view, perceive life, others, himself, and God. Verse 7 of chapter 3 says, Then the eyes of both of them were open. Now see, they're, 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 they're looking at things, they see things differently now. And they knew, now they know something they shouldn't know, and they knew they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. So now the fall comes into place, and now they sew, and now the hiding begins. And now the distance begins. So they move from, I'm completely naked, and I'm not ashamed, there's nothing wrong with me, to now they sin, and all of a sudden they're covering up. Then it takes it a step further in verse 8 and 9. Now watch this. They heard the sound of the Lord God. Now God comes looking for them, who's the primary relationship with them. The Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Oh, now we're hiding from God. Now we're distancing. Then the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Say the words with me. Where are you? That becomes a big player in today's message. So they move from completely naked, unashamed, in our relationship. All of a sudden, they sin. They sew fig leaves together to cover up because now they feel disappointed in themselves. Now, we'll move to the statement, and I want you to make the statement with me. I'll read it first, then I want you all to read it together, then I'll give you a little bit of definition, and that's this. Sin says, I've done wrong, I've done bad. Shame says, I'm wrong, I'm bad. Here we go, one, two, three. Sin says, I've done wrong, I've done bad. Shame says, I'm wrong, i So shame now, this disappointment in self, somehow I'm a fraud, I don't measure up, I'm not good enough for this, I look this way, I don't like that about myself, whatever, whatever. Now shame, or let me back up, guilt has to do with behavior. I've done wrong, I've done bad. Shame, which entered in the world at this moment, Shame says, I'm wrong, I'm bad. So shame has to do with identity. 
It has to do with who I am in this world. So it goes deeper into the core of who we are. Now, if you think about it, I told you last week, Eve, she was utter perfection, friends. Absolute perfection. She would make every Hollywood starlet, every Miss Universe ever, she would make them, she would put them all to shame. She is that perfect. Yet, when she sins, nothing about her body, nothing about her looks has changed at all. Nothing. But all of a sudden now, she goes, oh no, I got to cover this up. There is something wrong here. How can you find something wrong with utter perfection physically? Because it goes deeper into the core of who this person is. Now, with shame, let's, let me do the math. Shame is a result of sin. How many people have sinned? Everyone. Therefore, since everyone has sinned, and shame is a result of sin, everyone carries shame. Everybody does. You can say, oh, no, I don't. Okay, that's fine if you don't want to believe that. But, but it's true, okay? So, as I told you last week, this affects us in, uh, in various degrees in a variety of departments of our life. I may have it, and shame affects every crevice, every pocket, every corner, every nook of our lives. You can, and it just does. That's why it's so hard to detect in ourselves unless we really study it out and examine our lives. Um, but shame, in various degrees, I may have it in a certain area 80% of my life. You may have it 8%. But we go to a different department of our life, I may have it 15%, you may have it 75%. It just works that way. There's no one set linear line of how much we have these things in our life. They are just there. So like dog boy in the picture, we put up distance. Today we're going to look at two things, the physical and the emotional distance. One, I will hit very hard. The other, you'll see where I'm going to go with the other one. So I just ask that you listen, weigh out everything as I go along. Every week now, we're going to look at another dysfunctional cycle that must be broken in our life that's a result of the fall and the, these cycles are all designed to deteriorate, diminish, even utterly destroy a relationship, a friendship, whatever you're part of, your marriage, whatever it is, is what Satan goes after. So number one, shame can lead to physical distance. Now we're going to talk about physical distance first. Now let's go back to Genesis 3 and verse 7. And let's read that all together. Here we go. Then the eyes of... And they knew that they were naked and they sewed... Uh-huh. And made themselves loin coverings. Now, I want you to think about this. Now think, because you've got to catch all the little nuances. They're married. They're standing there naked. Everything's fine. Then they sin. Now we're going to cover up, put some distance there. Now think, in Genesis chapter 2, when Adam first sees Eve as wife, he proclaims, this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. And then God inserts, you've been joined together. Now think, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. Are those oneness terms? Say yes. Joined, is that a oneness term? Say yes. So we find oneness, 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 and then when they sin, something changes. They sow the fig leaves. Now we've got not so much bone to my bone, flesh to my flesh. We're not so joined together anymore. Did you catch that? Say yes or no, please. What? Okay, good. You caught that. Now watch this. 
Here's a little nuance. Verse 10, it says, And he said, this is Adam speaking to God, because God's looking for the guy. He said, I heard the sound of you, God, in the garden. And I was afraid I was, because I was naked, so I hid. That's interesting. I hid myself. Now watch. Now watch. In Genesis 3 and verse 7, it says, They hid themselves. In verse 10, Adam says, I hid myself. They moved from them togetherness, and now they're drifting. Now they're growing distant in this primary relationship. It's one of the biggest nuances you'll ever find here. Adam, as he jumps in the trees hide from God, he never says, hey babe, come and hide with me over here. He doesn't say that. He just jumps in himself, and now he's hiding by himself. Huh. Now let me, I promised you that I was going to share a lot of things in this series, and I'm going to start, now, I, now I'm really going to begin, okay? You guys want to hear this stuff? I bet you do, huh? <laughs> okay. Distance and relationships. Listen to everything I'm going to say is through the whole message. One of the things I found in myself, and it, I, I didn't realize it until I was in my 30s. I didn't start looking at this stuff in me until I was 33. I found, and now I coin it, I call it this, I call it the cutoff. If I, if I didn't like something about somebody... They even disagreed with me. If I felt like they even offended me, I would just cut them off. I would, I, I would cut them off, whether it was a person, we could do it with a person, you know, a small group, we can cut off churches, we can cut off the sports team, we can cut off any, we can cut off family, we can cut them off. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Anybody know what I'm talking about? I found that was part of my life. Now, <clears throat> One of the things that I found in that, and I read this next statement, I wish I would have coined it myself, but I didn't. About 25 years ago, I read it in a book, and I thought, oh my gosh, that's me too. It's called the noble-sounding reason. Because once I decide to cut you off, distance, emotion, physically, I've got to give myself the noble-sounding reason in my head why it's okay to do that, right? How many know you and I are the greatest salesmen around how we can sell ourselves on anything. Anybody know that? And we can justify cutting others off, why I don't need to be around them, whether it's a family member, whether it's a church person, whether it's a church, whether it's a small group. Some of us, we are hunters. I was. I was always hunting to find the reason why I could distance myself and walk away from you or not be part of that anymore. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And I would give myself the noble-sounding reason why. All it did was leave me distant. I got a quick question, just a quick and come back. How many of you men have um, a close friend or friends not counting your spouse? I'll leave that alone, okay? But here's one of the things I realized about myself, and I now use it in preaching. You might have heard me say it various times, is this. When you cut people off because of some flaw or something they do, this and that, my question is this. Why don't you cut yourself off from you? Who's the most flawed person you know? Who is it? 
It's yourself, because you and I both know all the flaws about ourselves. Am I right? So if we're going to cut people off, we need to start with right here, all right? Cut ourselves. If you want to cut people off, cut yourself off. But yet, some of us do do that. What? Yes, we do. We cut ourselves off because we're not honest about ourselves. And so we cut that part of our life. Isn't it easier to pick at other people? Isn't it easier to go home and criticize this or that? Well, I don't like what that pastor said about that. Hey, pick on yourself. Don't pick on me at home. (laughs) Am I right? It's so much easier to pick on other people, pick at that, and never look at ourselves. So in that respect, we cut ourselves off and we never face up to anything in our personal life that it could have caused some kind of growth in our lives. Question, did Jesus jump into the mess of our life or not? Yes, he did. He jumped into all my flaws, all the dysfunctions, all the sin, all the ways I've messed up. He jumped right in and he never left. And he's always been there. And we're, we Christians, at least followers of Christ, we're to be those types of people. We're the healers of the planet because we carry the greatest message in the world and the blood of Jesus that washes away sin and the resurrection of Christ that helps people walk a new life. Any amens on that one? So cutting people off we're cutting off ourselves, basically. So we don't want to do that. That's physical distance, my friend. Now, let's drill down further. The second thing is this. Shame can lead to emotional distance. Now, <clears throat> I'm only going to dabble, dab this a bit, because next week, I'm going to unpack this one big time. This emotional distance message is called the shutdown, and I'll really, I'm going to lay that one out, friends. So if you don't want to hear something, don't come next week. You may leave with your hair on fire. But, but I do need to say a few things because they are physically distancing and they're emotionally distancing in the get-go of the story. And by the way, isn't Satan's goal always for you to be alone? No, come to fellowship. Don't come to church. And how many noble-sounding reasons you got in your head going on, huh? How many times have you combated what I just said in the last three minutes in your head, huh? How many times have you lied to yourself in the last three minutes? It's not good for man to be alone. I'm not talking to you people, okay? You guys are cool, right? (laughs) Now, emotional distance. Now, watch this. Just watch this. There's a little nuance again. And by the way, we're going to keep reading the same verses over and over again for 10 weeks. There's so much in there. Watch. Then the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? Where are you? I got a question. Did the omniscient, which means all-knowing, and the omnipresent, which means you're everywhere at the same time, did this omniscient, omnipresent God not know where Adam was hiding? Did he go, man, these bushes are thick. Where is that guy hiding? Adam, where are you? No, he knows where Adam is. He knows the whole thing. So this has to be beyond just the physical. It's got to be more in the relational. So when God says, think, when God says, think, where are you? He's saying much more, he's saying it more like, where are you in our relationship, Adam? You ever said that in marriage? Oh, leave that alone right now. We'll go that. That's later, okay. Where are you? See, the question that God asks Adam is a probing question. It demands that Adam open up from the inside and share what's going on. Am I right? It demands that. 
That's what he's it's looking for. Adam, where are you? Well, Adam's all shut down. He's going to say, well, I hid because I was afraid. But then he goes, where's that woman over there? Deflection. Because he's shutting down. Now, I'm going to leave that alone. I just teased you. Next Sunday, we'll really expand that more. Now, point three is this. This is a big one now. Yesterday affects today. Doesn't it? An hour ago, they were fine with each other, weren't they? Weren't they? And now, they're hiding. Now, they're distant. Yesterday affects today. I've been counseling people off and on for 30, 35 plus years. I'm not a professional counselor. I'm a pastor. But I just use these principles to help people. I have heard off and on throughout the years, people say, well, my past has nothing to do with today. I just want to light their hair on fire. <laughs> I go, are you kidding me? Huh? Are you, so therefore, I shouldn't even read my Bible because last week Bible reading doesn't affect me today. Right? Why go get a college degree? It doesn't help me today. It doesn't affect anything. Uh, you know what? I'm just going to eat all the junk food and soda and everything else because that doesn't affect me today. Everything in our past affects us today. We're the accumulation of everything in our past. Any amens on that? It's just denial. Well, Jim, can you prove it biblically? Oh, boy, can I? Why does Moses, after 40 years, not want to go back to Egypt? 40 years ago, he killed an Egyptian, and Pharaoh wants to kill him, so he flees in fear. Does his past affect today? You better believe it does. The prodigal son, my favorite story. The prodigal son's coming home. He's blown his life. He's messed it up. He comes home. He's the son of his father, but he comes home, and all in his mind, he has a new thinking. He says, well, all I can ever be is an employee in my dad's home. Where did he learn that? From the man in the foreign country where he messed it all up. And the man said, I'll just hire you as an employee. His yesterday affects his today. He's coming home. I can't be a son anymore. I'll just work for it. I'll just be an employee. Our past affects our today. Any amens on that one? Okay, good. I'm glad you agree. Okay, there's something I had to do. Now, I didn't stumble on it right away, but I had to do it. And I, I've thought a lot about it. I think a lot about past things to see why I am the way I am. I don't do it to be negative. I don't do it to put myself down. I don't do it to blame any in the past. I think blame is lame. Word, amen. Oh, go. praise the Lord right there. We got an amen. It's just, a, just a waste of your time. It's like, what are you going to do blaming? Now, my past. Beyond me. But how it affected me. And I want you to think about this. My father's father was murdered when my dad was a little over one years old. That's called distance now. He lost his daddy. My dad's mother finds out that my dad's family wants to take the kids away from her. There's a brother and a sister. She takes off with my dad comes to America around 1916. He leaves a sister. Doesn't even know he has a sister. He's just a little baby. That's distance. He grows up. He doesn't find out he has a sister until, I don't know what age. 
but there's distance. My mother. The way my mother told me the story a couple times was when she was 10 years old. They went down to the little city. She was born in San Diego, the little area somewhere. And her dad gave her money for either a little candy or an ice cream. I just can't remember what it was. She was 10. She goes to get it. She comes back. Her dad's on the train. The train's leaving. He's waving to her. He leaves the family, and she never sees him again. That's distance. I come along. I never saw my parents sleep in the same bedroom one time. Ever. That's distance. When my wife came home with COVID and she couldn't sleep at night, she slept in the other room because if I moved around and wake her up and I said, this is only for a short time. We are, because I'm, I'm, I'm not replaying that. But it's distance. My mother, she starts a business, which was a great thing. It changed the course of our family in the land of opportunity in the greatest nation on the planet. Here's this Mexican woman. She starts a Mexican food restaurant. Successful overnight. But the negative part was she worked 12 hours a day. I'm 13 years old when it began. I've already experienced distance, distance, distance. And now when I come home from school, do you think my mother's there anymore? Not anymore. I don't see her anymore. Except on her day off. I come home from school. I'm there. I go to bed, my mom's at home, and she gets home after, after I'm asleep. There's distance. <clears throat> Is it any wonder I grew up to become distant? I became a workaholic. That's distance. I'm just following patterns. And then I thought, and I, and I examined my family, not just my immediate, but extended family that are all come from this line. There's so many of us that practice the cut off, cut people off. Well, they did this and they did that. And then they justify it in their head. And I just thank God that God showed me that about myself. I don't want to be that way. But we find reasons why we distance and distance and distance ourselves. I'm saying this so you examine your history, where you've come from. What's impacted you? Because the past doesn't fade the present. Now, let me share this. Some of you know this. Most of you do. If you didn't grow up with this particular thing going on in your family, that's fine. You got your own stuff going on. But I'm going to share mine. And I told my son Dylan at Ab, I go, you share whatever you want. You know the stories. You're not going to embarrass me one bit. I'll share everything about it. I don't care. <clears throat> I grew up in an alcoholic's home. I know none of you did that. There are currently 80 million of me in America. Adults and kids of alcoholic parents, one or both. There's 80 million. That means there's one quarter of all Americans are me, and I am them. Is that wild or what? That's crazy. Alcoholism 
as I studied it out when I got older and I realized and I and I could and denial so deep I remember the day I was in my 30s I told my mom you know dad my dad was an alcoholic you know what my mom said no he wasn't he was drunk every day denial runs deep but my dad sometimes when I was a kid he would rage anybody know what I'm talking about oh yeah you do huh and maybe your parent was an alcohol but they were just a rageaholic or something who knows what but he would rage, man. He's just blow up. I can remember, and you know, the blessing of having a great memory is also a curse, is it not? But I remember about being, you know, five, six, seven, whatever it is, and my dad would rage. Now, alcoholism moves in stages emotionally. As I got into junior high, my dad's alcoholism, as I studied out, he went into the late stages, which means he would no longer rage, but it was just him and his bottle at home. I remember he'd be in the garage, just him and his bottle. And he would sit it out in the sun, his beer, to warm it up so he'd get in the system faster. I remember that. But I'd be, I'd be a, a kid. And I remember nights that my dad would rage. Going in the bedroom, my sister Lucia, 11 years older than me. I'd go in there and I'd, I'd just be crying. You're just scared. I, I, I vividly, I vividly remember my dad yelling as I'm in the bedroom out there. He's saying, where's my gun? I'm going to kill myself. I remember it. I can remember my sister Lucia. Levin told me, for whatever reason, she knew Jesus as a little girl. And she'd be praying for Jesus. She'd be pray- I remember. And I was scared. And that happened multiple times in my life. Uh, let me tell you a story because I've got to bring it back to the shame issue. And by the way, do they still, I don't know if they still do show and tell at school. When you grow up in a home like this, whether whatever it is in your home, you don't go to school and say, hey, I'd like to share my dad was an alcoholic and raging last night. Yeah. <laughs> oh no, you, you just zip that one up. Don't tell anybody that stuff. I remember one time I was six. I invited a friend after school to come to the house we lived on the same block. And my dad was raging. And, uh, and I had to keep my friend outside. And I went inside to see what's going on. And my oldest brother, Bob, who's now passed, he's 18 years older than me, passed eight years ago. He was restraining our dad, restraining him. My dad, I, I'm going to date myself. Remember the, the phones before? Remember those phones? Well, you know. You know, you used to call 911, you know, please, you know. Okay, we didn't have 911 back then. Um, so, but my dad had the phone in his hand, and my brother's got this wrist of him, and he's got my dad's other wrist, and he's restraining my dad, and my dad's just, he's raging, he's, got, he's going to hit with that phone. And I go inside and I see that, and your world's out of control. That's another thing we'll look at later on. When your world's out of control, how it affects you today. It's amazing. I come back outside and my six-year-old friend, James, he says, what's going on inside? And I said, I I can't say. I said something like that. And he said this, he said, if you don't tell me, I'm going to go home right now. You need to understand as an adult child, an alcoholic, and you are set in motion emotionally by age five, you have deep, fears of abandonment and rejection and it took me decades to get over that one 
and I don't want my friend to leave because the rejection's too big. And so I told him what was going on. How do you think that felt for a six-year-old kid? The shame of it all. I share stories like that because we all begin with a shame issue. And that shame issue gets bigger and bigger and bigger depending on the world that we grew up in. Does that make sense so far? Let me tell you what I learned about myself as I began to deal with this self of mine. I learned in that home, in the world I grew up in, there's three things I don't do. I don't talk. I don't trust. And I don't feel. And I learned that. I don't talk. I'm not sharing with anybody what's going on here. I don't trust. I won't trust anybody with my emotions at all. And I don't feel. You shut down your emotions. Now I want you to think about that. I don't talk. I don't trust. I don't feel. It worked really good when I was a kid to survive the world I was growing up in. Right? But I grow up. And I meet Olivia. And we get married. Does don't talk, don't trust, don't feel... Does that work in marriage? Not at all. And I'm sitting there, and I'm an emotional invalid. And now i got a live one on my hands. And she's really asking the question without saying that, where are you, where are you? Is there somebody in there? I'll talk more about this as the weeks go on. See, here's the thing that was going on, and it happens in our lives. Verse 10 says, Adam says to God, when God says, where are you? Adam says, he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. So now we have shame, and one of the shoots is fear. Fear and shame, deadly combo, my friends. It boils down to no one is going to know the real me. Now that doesn't work in any relationship, doesn't work in friendship, it just does not work. Now let me give you a sidebar on this. Because I had to finally come to this place, you know, and, and let me tell you a funny thing too. It's not, maybe it's not funny, but some, at some point in my life I started to think to myself, maybe this is the reason why I study the scriptures so much all these years because I always wanted to be a step ahead of you and know the answer to whatever the question so I'd look okay. But I wanted to keep you at bay. And I had to think about that. That maybe my motivations were completely off. They're fine now. But maybe they were off. But let me talk to somebody in this room who are like, like me. I'm a type A personality. Any type A's? Don't raise your hand because I'm going to embarrass you right now. I found that we are the worst. Because our whole life is productivity, success, barge ahead, don't slow down. But the problem with that is that life is not just barge ahead, productivity, don't slow down. It's not just that. I'm a three-part being, body, soul, and spirit. My soul consists of my mind, my will, which is decision-making, my mind, will, and my emotions. There's an emotional part of me that as a type A, I never develop. It got stuck. Don't talk, don't trust, don't feel. See, type A's always think this is the stupidest stuff to talk. Why do I need to do that? Well, because you're an emotional being. See, we look at it like it's ridiculous. Now, I'll tell you, I'm no, I'm no longer like a type A plus. I'm like a type B minus now. I'm not so bad anymore. 
the way I used to be. I, I think I've kind of healed up some in that area, not completely. But let me tell you what I learned to along the way. <laughs> it's the power of the secret. Distance. It's the power of the secret. I remember I was 18 years old. And me and my friends, Mark and Marty, we were cruising. We used to go cruising a lot back in 1974 because gas was cheap. Now, if we go cruising, you can only go down to like Jack in the Box and back. and <laughs> Just the whole tank is gone. <clears throat> but one night we're cruising around and they start talking, my buddy Mark starts talking about his, uh, a parent of his that's an alcoholic. And this is why he's so angry all the time. And I thought, oh, okay. Because he was angry a lot. I didn't realize how angry I was. But he was really angry. And he's sharing it. Now, I didn't know enough back then to understand that he was describing me also. You think I shared that day with him? That Oh, yeah, me too at the house. Nope. Nobody's going nobody's to dig in here. Don't talk. Don't trust. Don't, I'm not. No, this is the secret that stays with me. This is what it is. Now, let me tell you what I realized in the power of the secret. If you just distance yourself, keep it away. Keep people away. Don't talk. Don't share. Here's what you learn. I'm the only one with this problem. And if the Bible says it's common to many people. But I'm the only one with this problem. And if I'm the only one with this problem then I don't have to open up and share because nobody has this problem, therefore nobody can relate to me. Any amens on that? And so that power, that secret, keeps you stuck where you're at. Let me tell you what I thank God for. I thank God that my life went through pure hell at times. But it woke me up. It woke me up to realize, I've got problems. It's not everybody else. It's me. I'm the one. Now, I know you have your problems, but what I'm saying is, it's me. I've got to deal with me. Now, 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 let me show you something. How the, the power of the secret, how these things diminish in your life. In John chapter 20, verse 24 to 28, this is Thomas. We call him Doubting Thomas. But Thomas wasn't there for the meeting when Jesus first showed up after the resurrection. He missed the first one. But eight days later, he's there when Jesus shows up. But watch, watch what goes on. But Thomas, one of the twelve called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples were saying to him, we have seen the Lord. Now, never underestimate or gloss over statements like that because the disciples just said, we have seen the Lord. They are eyewitnesses to the resurrected Jesus Christ. Your faith is not a faith of, you just got to believe. No, it's a faith of evidence. Amen? These are eyewitnesses. But he said to them, here's what Thomas says, unless I see his hands, the imprint of the nails, and not there, but right here, because in Roman days, this was part of the hand. And if you nailed him here, just slide right off eventually. Unless I see in his hands the imprint of the nails and put my finger into the place of the nails and put my hand into his side where the spear went through, I will not believe. After eight days, his disciples were again inside here we go, they're all together again. And Thomas was there this day. He came for the church service. Jesus came, the doors having been shut, 
and stood in their midst and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Reach here with your finger and see my hands and reach here your hand and put it into my side and do not be unbelieving but believing. In other words, look at the scars you see right here. Thomas does that. Verse 20, Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord, my God. He now believes. Now think of what just, there's a simple dynamic thing that took place there that transformed Thomas's life. What was it? Well, it was simple. Jesus showed his scars, did he not? We all carry scars in our life, do we not? Every one of us does. We all do. And the reality that when you start to share your scars and talk about your scars and the things of the past, it lessens the power of the secret and the emotional power over it and it also helps other people like, you too? You, you, you're, you've gone through this too? Yeah. Every one of us has. And just like it released and helped Thomas, we are here to be healers, help other people. But it'll never happen if we keep the fig leaves up. We keep the distance up. Now, I'm a movie guy. I gave, this, I'm sorry this time, but I gave you two days, okay? Yeah. Yeah. So I went to see the Marvel movie, Shang-Chi. I won't ruin the whole movie, okay? Just 80% of it. No, I'm just joking. So I'm watching the movie there. We go on Thursday nights, a group of us and from church here because we're Marvel fans. and I'm watching the movie. And there comes this moment in time. Shang-Chi. He's trying to become who he's supposed to be to fight off the evil power and to save the village. But something's not clicking. He's not reaching full potential in life of what he's supposed to be, what he could be. And there's this moment. When I heard those words, and sorry, I went home that night, I looked up, Shang-Chi quotes. It's like 11.45 at night. I had to find them. Took a picture of them because I knew this was perfect for this message. I thought, God, Holy Spirit, you're just too good to give me this. From Shang-Chi. He's trying to become this person to be able to save the village and be the, be the guy he's supposed to be in life. And his aunt, she realizes there's a problem here. And here's what she tells him. She says, the good and the bad are all part of you. Stop hiding. It will only prolong the pain. Now, I don't know what pain they're talking about at this moment. And then, there's this quick scene where he's talking to his best friend. And now he shares something that he's kept a secret for so long. Something in his past. Something he never wanted to talk about. But he shares it. He, he unburdens himself of that thing. And there's a release in his life. There's a release where he gets to become the person he's supposed to be. He's no longer locked in those issues from the past in his life. Let me tell you what, as I watch, I go, God, are you kidding? God, did you just design this so I could be here tonight for this for the message on Sunday? Here's the application. Because he was ashamed of something in his past. Your life and my life is the accumulation of all the good and all the bad in our past. Just like she told Shang-Chi. 
Stop hiding. It will only prolong the pain. Stop hiding. Quit blaming other people. Stop hiding. I've opened up and I've shared in my life. And as I open up and I share, my gosh, all that bad that was part of my life, it diminishes. It doesn't carry this baggage that it used to in my life. But let me show you what I found. Let me tell you what I found. It was amazing. What I learned and what I experienced by opening up and sharing. When I started to share and started to talk about things, it opened up opportunities, doors, to be able to help other people. When they go, wait, tell me that again? You too? Yeah. And God now seems to bring to me people who grew up in similar situations that I did and that I did. And I get to help them. And I get to share with them. And I get to talk about these things. I've shared this story in the past and I'm going to share it again. Probably don't remember it. I remember about four years ago, three, I don't know what it was, three years ago, we were doing a men's thing up in the upper room in the back and I sat at a certain table because the table I ran, none of my guys showed up. They are afraid of me or something, I don't know. This happy face. So I sat at this other table and as we're talking at the table, I'm listening to this one young man, he's about 28, 29 Maybe 30, I don't know. I don't, they all look young to me now. Any amen? And he starts talking. And because, you know, I've been dealing with this for 30 years, dealing with it and understanding and learning, I thought, I know exactly this guy's childhood. I know, I'm listening, I, go, no, I know what he's gone through. I start talking to him. I start sharing with him. I, say, I ask him more questions, then I share more. I ask more questions, then I share more. And I start sharing all these things. And he's just like, yeah. And it opened up a whole world to him that he'd never seen before of, you know, he had these blinders on, but now he sees. And we stayed there later. After he was gone, we're still there. And finally we leave, and I'll never forget. I'm driving home, and I'm going down Park Ridge. And I remember I just, my eyes started to water, and I cried. I said, I go, thank you, God. Thank you, God. See, God didn't want me to grow up in that painful situation. But God took that situation and he turned it because I faced up and he used it so I could help other people. And I said, thank you, God. Thank you that I went through that. Thank you that I went through that so I could help all these other people. Thank you. And that's where I coined the phrase in my head, we've all got gold inside of us. You all have gold inside of you. You're all called to be healers. But if you stay distant, you keep the fig leaves up, you don't talk about stuff, you give all your noble sounding reasons why you can't, and you, like I said, you're a great salesman to yourself, you'll never use the gold. And you'll never be able to help people like you could help people. You cannot do it from a distance. You gotta do it up close and personal. But there's gold inside of every one of us, potentially. Amen, I'm done, let's pray. This is nothing compared to what's coming next week, okay? So, but let, let's pray.
Everything's about relationship, friendship, etc. And yet, all this healing process cannot come to be unless we come to the healer himself, Jesus Christ, the great physician, and really surrender. You got to surrender. Can't hold on to 80% compartmentalized stuff. You got to surrender. But it all begins with salvation. I can't, I'm not going to take a long time, but if you've never placed your faith in Jesus as your Savior, you've never chosen to follow Him, you've never allowed the blood that He shed on the cross to forgive you of all sin, then let's, do, let's get it done. Let's do it. Start following Him. Maybe you backslid. You walked away. You don't even know why you walked away, but you did. But it's time to come back and surrender and surrender so I'm going to say a prayer those of you who would like to place your faith in Jesus or rededicate your life you repeat this prayer out loud in this room you all repeat it with me so they're not alone at home you're watching live you're going to do it say it there you're watching this three months down the road say it say it but put your faith in Jesus as you say it so here we go all together thank you Jesus for caring so much about me that you would jump into my mess. Forgive all my sins. Forgive me, Lord, of all of my sins. And I know I'm forgiven. Today I choose to follow you. I surrender every pocket of my life to you, my healer, now let me pray. God, I pray, I pray, Jesus, that people who said that prayer for the first time or in rededication, that they would walk with you. They would follow you. I pray for the rest of us here that have been hiding for so long with all of our noble-sounding reasons why we don't need to. I pray we'd stop now. Stop now. Take off the fig leaves and start getting closer to people. Don't talk, don't trust, don't feel. You've got to conquer those things. And you'll only conquer those things by coming out and sharing and let people know who you really are, what's really going on. And one day you'll find security. And it's a great feeling. It's a great feeling. I pray for you. I pray for you. In Jesus' name we pray. And we all said, Amen and Amen. Will you stand up with me, please? If you need prayer or dedicated your life to Christ, please reach out to us on our social media, on Facebook and Instagram at NBCC Norco, or email us at hello at NBCC.com. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to share and subscribe to this podcast.